And people are always excited to help you as well. Like if you're passionate about something and if you're doing something that I think you really believe is good, and as well, if you're doing something which isn't just for you as well, um, then, then I've had no shortage of people that have extended tremendous amounts of help, which is really cool. That was Bryce Langston. This is Doug, the podcast. Welcome to episode 27 with Bryce from Living Big and Tiny Houses. Um, I put up a picture that I was going to interview Bryce, someone, see, so looks like my brother, and I thought, uh, that's cool. But it uh, turns out we've got <laughs> a lot of commonalities. He felt like a brother from another mother. Um, Bryce is the founder of the blog Living Big in Tiny Houses and the YouTube channel that accompanies that. Um, but he's also a filmmaker, actor, permaculturalist, musician, curious creative, uh, just a really well-read, articulate, passionate guy. Um, he we had a lot of similarities. He started in advertising too, uh, copywriting to please his parents, but was always a creative at heart and uh, attracted to drama and the music and then permaculture later on, which led him into the tiny house movement. And he's been the successful and many areas of his life but he's kind of proactively gone out of his way to find his heroes and mentors to help start this tiny house movement which he's really passionate about and he kind of talks about how when you're passionate you know you'll find the people to help you so he's kind of learned all these amazing lessons on the way and uh so it's really cool to sit down with him and, I'd, and get to know him a bit more and to check out his tiny house too so we recorded this and his it's the kind of frame of it, so it's a trailer, a tiny house on trailer, and um, the work in progress, you can follow through his YouTube channel, and yeah, it's pretty cool, and his ideas around it, and, and how he came to the conclusion of what, why did, you know, start to question, um, saying no to materialism, and being the change, and finding things that nourish, nourish your soul, and make you, you know, make you happy at the end of the day, and uh, that kind of freedom of, of being in a house, and and the changing nature of our landscape is kind of a, a house buyer in Auckland in particular, how that's kind of maybe not achievable for many of us, but with shared resources and how the problems and solutions you can create, well, hopefully not creating too many problems, but <laughs> more solutions with the tiny house. And, and and I had a lot of questions about it too, like where do you store it, how do you build it, what's the cost, what are some other options? We had a question from my friend Bass about boats and... Um, so we kind of cover all that off as well as kind of so much so much else, and, and particularly permaculture as well, which I really liked. I, I, it's something I'm quite into with these, uh, these cycles of life and how nature doesn't really have a waste bin, and yet we create all this waste which should have a full, a full loop that we should be able to reuse and replenish and, and uh, create these ecosystems, particularly looking at um, toilets as well, how we just discard our our shit pretty much is, is just a waste product when when everything um, when looked at with the fresh eyes can be reused, repurposed um, and also we delve into the greenwashing too which is a big a, a big issue um, so plenty of questions, plenty of answers it was a real uh, treat of a conversation make sure you check out his channels and um, I'm going to leave you with a little piece that I found on, on a 
post that was written up with uh, with Bryce, and uh, the, the question someone asked him was, "Why do you think humans like stuff so much?" And he said, "I think we're taught to like stuff. It's the result of." intentional planning using PR and advertising to keep us wanting to buy more so that if we can grow the economy so that we can grow the economy. It's unfortunate that we're not also taught what we sacrifice in order to obtain this stuff. As many of us spend much of our lives working in jobs we don't especially like, sacrificing health, time and relationships so we can buy more things that we don't really need. I can't deny there's a pleasure that is gained from this new stuff, but it's always short-lived. Buddhists have a philosophy that everything you own ends up owning a part of you, and I can certainly identify with that, and I can identify with those words of Bryce and uh, his wisdom, and um, it actually leads me on to a movie I saw recently too, which is a wonderful Captain Fantastic, uh, check it out, it, it really delves into this issue, and it kind of shows when you get too extreme too, what, uh, how that can be quite polarizing as well, so um, definitely open to both ends of the spectrum, and then finding something that uh, that works and that's uh, that's that's true and this uh, this feels true so it's, it's lovely to spread the truth as it were with you and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it enjoy it any uh, yeah, if you do enjoy it make sure to share it pass it on because I think it would help a lot of people and that's kind of my service my uh, mission and purpose with the podcast is to to share this information these opportunities I have with as many of you as possible so that you can do the same and uh, your communities and your life. So if you enjoy it, share it, write a comment, write a review. Any questions, let me know. And uh, love you all. Hope to hear from you soon. And hopefully I'll see some more tiny houses or eco houses popping up around the place. And, uh, yeah, without too much... Uh, man, hopefully there's not too much of the eco. I'm just recording this in the studio bathroom, just trying to get it out this Sunday night so I can be with you for this week. But um, enjoy. Think less, experience more, and uh, build more of your dreams. Small dreams, big dreams. And hope you dug it. Super fascinating. So it's just a wealth of knowledge, and the people he's worked with, uh, like from from um, all these Nobel Prize-winning scientists, and and just l the best of the best. The only which were kind of like masters, because if you work with a real master, you actually you just learn the best techniques. And mm. and and if you learn from someone who's just good, you'll probably get kind of good to poor results. If you learn from someone that's great, you might just get good results. If you learn from the very master, you'll get like just amazing, like talks about outstanding, like beyond the top 1% of the 1%. If you learn from those people who've been harnessing their skills for centuries, then mm. you'll learn just a million times quicker. So he starts to model people too of where you want to go. Um, <coughs> yeah. For sure. So it's, uh, yeah, I was so excited. So I'm going to try and do some more training with them. And, uh, awesome. Just think about how I could, you know, a lot of it's just like ending suffering. You see these patterns in people's lives and you're like, how can we change that to make, you know, yeah. so you're not overweight, so you got all this health, so you got all this financial freedom, so you're chasing this dream that you want to want to do. Yeah. yeah. And is this kind of your vessel for that? Like, is this podcast and what you're doing here your mission or? Well, I was, 
yeah, well, then because I was turning it to my own life, and I'm like, Flip, what's my, you know, if you move beyond these four core needs we have, which is significance, con- uh, connection, certainty, and uncertainty, so they're kind of the four basic needs we have, but if you move beyond those to more the spiritual ones, which are contribution and progress, I'm like, what are, what are my skills and what's my X factor and what's my dharma to, to be progressing and contributing more? And I was like, flip the podcast that I get to like meet awesome people like yourself who are doing amazing things, like learn from them and then share that knowledge too. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning plus I'm sharing. So I'm like, flip it ticks. And then what other channels might come off that? So maybe a YouTube channel, maybe events, maybe um, maybe courses, maybe mm-hmm. like going to schools and summarizing all of this, maybe putting it into a book. Um, yeah, cool. Anything that's like growing me personally and then I can like figure out a way to contribute and distribute it to the most amount of people. And the more people I get it to, the more energy it's going to give me. Yeah. So I talked a lot about... Um, if you just think about yourself, that's why people are depressed and down. They just think about themselves. But as soon as you get a kid, you got a family, you got a community, you got a, a workplace, whatever it is, that gets you to be accountable to to give you energy to do more for other people. Yeah. Um. So the more people you got to look after or or serve, the greater your energy and purpose is going to be. The longer you're going to live, the more prep you're going to have to get up in the morning. Um. You're only gonna be down for a few hours, if that. You get because you're gonna have people to serve. And it's interesting. My friend Javier, he was saying he was he had this mental issue and he was down. He was in hospital and he was struggling with life and just was sick and he'd broken his ankle and then he found out he was having a daughter and it just kind of snapped him out of it. He's like, shit, I'm gonna have to have, I'm gonna have to look after a human being. Yeah. My own daughter and it was like I'm gonna have to change my life to make this happen. And and it broke him out of that routine, which was just it was just all about himself and his own problems and, and where the focus goes, the energy goes. So he was just focusing on like all the issues he had and he was like, no, I'm going to have to like change my life and do these amazing things. I'm going to have this daughter and this family. And, um, and yeah, so it's interesting how that'll do that once you, and so you can mentally create a community too, like get yourself out of that headspace and be like, flip, I want to serve these people. I want to do this. And like, when you jump up and down, you're in your optimal state of mind. So when you like move the body, motion leads to emotion. So move the body first, breathe, jump, sing, dance, do whatever you need to do to get in the best state of mind and then make your decisions from there because they're mm-hmm. not fear-based. So you'll be like, flip, this is my real vision. Like This is what I want to do. These are the people I want to serve. Yeah. Because um, if you sit there at school and you're in a desk and you're in a chair and you haven't moved all day and you're kind of just like mulling over something, you can't, you just don't have that clarity. You're like, you're fear-based, you're kind of cloudy, you're you're not in a good headspace to make decisions. So yeah, usually like people are after exercise or whatever it is, they're just like so much more clear. Yeah. So that's why it has everyone jumping up and down all the time, just to like get them out in the headspace. You're always thinking from that place of just optimism, of abundance. So, and then the phone, and there's more ideas come to you, and more abundance comes to you, and you see these connections happening and like, you're kind of throwing it out to the universe and then it's providing. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. It yeah. is really cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> and like speaking of living the dream, we're in the in this beautiful tiny house with uh, Bryce Langston from Living Big and Tiny Is it Spaces? House? Living Big in a Tiny House. Living Big in a Tiny House. So we're we're doing it. 
We're doing it. <laughs> um, so for people who haven't heard, like, I put it out yesterday or a couple of days ago, and there was like so many people inquiring and running down questions. It was really cool. Like you've got a, a big following now, which is awesome through your channels. But what's um, like for someone who's new hasn't met you before, what would you say you do? So I started this journey probably about three years ago now. And it really actually just came out of uh, looking for a place to live. So I've, I've worked as a, an artist and a creative for most of my life. And anyone that works as a creative person knows that there's not always a steady flow of money. And I had also studied permaculture. And so through my study in permaculture, I became really interested in alternative dwellings. I started looking into things like building earth houses and uh, what options would be available to me to to basically just give myself a little bit of housing security so I could um, so I could break the cycle of rent um, and uh, and yeah live in a, a place which was basic met my needs and yet uh, provided me the ability to focus on my creative pursuits. The problem with things like earth houses and that sort of thing for me was I still needed to find land where that would be possible. Then one day I saw a picture on the internet of a tiny house on wheels and it was like this massive light bulb went off in my head. I was like, this is incredible. That is exactly what I should do. It's beautiful, it's small, it's simple, it's minimal, and yet it still provides me with everything that I need in a home uh, and would allow me to, to continue my work as a musician and as a, an actor. And then I thought, well, if this is something that feels so good to me, if this is so relevant to me and what I'm doing, there's gotta be other Kiwis out there that would be interested in this. So I started filming the, the journey of my build and as I started filming the journey of my project, I started getting contacted by a lot of other Kiwis that were saying, hey, um, awesome that you're doing that. Why don't you come check out this caravan that I've tripped out or um, you know, this tree house I've built and all this sort of stuff. And that's when I started doing these tiny house tours. So I'd, uh, I'd go with the camera and, and film walkthroughs of people's homes and put them up on the YouTube channel. And that was when the, the channel really kind of took a, a bit of a turn and the, the views just started um, going a bit crazy. And yeah, uh, you know, three years later, uh, the channel's doing great and I'm having a lot of fun exploring, yeah, alternative living options. Ah, oh, man, that's so... Like, we were just before I pushed record, we were talking about those, like, career options for kids and how you don't know these jobs are going to exist. But to solve a problem that you have and then to share that journey and all the other people to be attracted to that and have those same issues, it's like you're solving your own problem and helping all these people on the way. Yeah, I mean, so cool. I guess all growth kind of starts from solving a problem, yeah. eh? And, and, um, and for me, it was just something that made so much sense. And it's especially relevant now. I mean, we're in this generation in New Zealand where we're largely priced out of the housing market. I mean, average house price in, in New Zealand is over 600000 now. Here in Auckland, it's hit over a million. So for a lot of us, we're looking at the possibility of home ownership. And even if we're in that, uh, even if we're in that group who can theoretically afford to get into a house in Auckland right now, it's not without a huge compromise in lifestyle. Uh, and especially as so many of us are looking towards um, creative endeavors or starting businesses or wanting to do things that are a little bit off the beaten track, if you've got a, a, a large mortgage and a lot of debt over your head, it, it can really prevent you from actually getting ahead in life. And so for, for people who aren't afraid to sort of simplify a little bit and who like the idea of uh, living in a home that's just enough, then it's a great option. Yeah, that's, uh, 
I just saw a piece actually with Sebi Woodhouse posted yesterday of a, a friend who was an internet multimillionaire and but he got cancer the day a year after he sold his company for thirty million or something. And this balance of like lifestyle and sustainability or um, it's fascinating because like you say, you could you could maybe get into the market, but suddenly your life is compromised and for the next 20 years you can't travel where you want to go and you can't you have to do this certain job that you might not want to do and yeah um it's an interesting balance to prioritize you know, that lifestyle and then to to have this kind of certainty or this base that you want to build as well yeah um uh, like that's so prevalent now with particularly our generation to get into the the property market which is kind of a like the the picket fence and the two acres is kind of like a, a maybe a, a bygone era kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I think we we're in this generation where we've kind of looked at, at how it's worked out for our parents, and and you know we're in this generation where a lot of our parents are, are still uh, dealing with mortgages and that sort of thing, coming towards retirement age now, and and the big question is you know like is it worth putting in all of that effort? for the supposed golden years, you know, and what do we lose in the process of doing that? Like, should we really be working towards the idea that everything's going to be okay in our retirement? <clears throat> because nothing's guaranteed to us, right? Like, no, none of us actually know how long we have on this earth. And we live in this culture that encourages us to, to always think of, of this retirement and to just put in the hard yards now, suffer through whatever you have to suffer through. Don't, don't worry about the now as long as you're going to be okay tomorrow. And, um, and I would challenge that. I would challenge that notion a lot. And I would say that, that life is precious. Life is something that needs to be lived to the fullest all the time. And if you find a way of, of, of creating a circumstance for yourself where you're able to do that, then go for it. Mm. That's, yeah, that's so interesting. There are two, two of the best books I've read, or three actually, The Vagabonding, Four Hour Work Week, and this uh, Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins, they all talked to that illusion of retirement. And yeah. and it was like to have the perfect retirement fund, you'd have to know when you're going to die, when you're <laughs> going to end your work, when you're, how long your spouse is going to live for, what the economy is going to do. Like there's a million different factors that no one predict, can predict. Yeah. And that's... Um, and it's just like... And then, like you said, then you don't even know your own health. And so you could be waiting for this time in the future that never comes around. And uh, to have this balance of uh, putting some money aside and, and having this plan that's actually going to support you later on in life potentially, but being able to live and almost have the semi-retirement as you live. So taking these breaks, doing these things and balance, creating this lifestyle where you're not waiting for 30 years to go on that trip or to build that house or to do... Yeah, it's 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 so, so cool. Cause yeah, just asking that question of like, why is that the way? Why have we done that before? What what condition that thought pattern? And then be like, is that relevant to me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what you said, you were like a creative to start with. So what was you got into music and acting? Yeah. How 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 did you get into that? Was that through school? Was that through studies? Was that? Yeah, I I've always really enjoyed drama. And that was kind of what kick-started me into it. And all the way through um, through high school, I was doing plays and that sort of thing. And then I went over to um, 
went over to the States for a little while. And over there, I, I got to do some acting classes, and uh, that was amazing. Came back and did um, did more acting training back here, and then Any just got into method or was it Meisner? Yeah, Meisner? so I was yeah. I was I was trained in Meisner, and then uh, then yeah, just fell into some work, which was really great. I, I got some really great jobs on you know shows here like Shortland Street and some indie movies, and um, then did shows like Spartacus and Legend of the Seeker. Um, so, you know, for a while I was working real well and commercials sort of are quite constant all throughout that, but it's just never, you know, there's, there's always, um, rises and falls in the industry and it was never something that was able to provide a really solid, solid income for me, uh, for more than a, a few months at a time. And then, um, then yeah, the, the music just kind of came out of just a, 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 a need for a creative expression, I guess. And what I really liked about music was it was something that I didn't need to have somebody else's permission to do. So as an actor, you're constantly auditioning, you're constantly trying to get work, you're constantly um, you know, putting yourself at the mercy of other people making decisions on whether or not you're right for a part. Un unless, of course, you go out and create your own work, which is possible, especially now with YouTube and stuff. Um, but, um, but for me at the time, m music was something that I didn't have to have somebody's permission for. I could just, I could write my own work, I could record my own work, I could put it out there. Um, and I could go out and I could get my own jobs as well. So I went out and I could, I could get gigs and for a while I was doing weddings and, and that sort of thing as well. And so yeah, you know, it just it was uh, just me trying to uh, make a living by doing things that didn't feel like work to me. Awesome. And um, and then all, all through that throughout that whole process as well, I've I've also been running my own business. So I have a digital media company where I would make corporate videos and uh, produce websites and and that sort of thing. Um, but that that did feel like work. And I was working for a lot of especially you know with a background of permaculture and I, I'm. I'm quite a greenie at heart and uh, I was working for a lot of companies and doing jobs that I felt also compromised my values and, and what I wanted to be creating and putting out into the world. So um, so yeah, that was that was something which potentially had I have pushed harder with my business, I would have been able to have done a lot better financially out of that, but, um, but it was a, a big uh, moral compromise. Mm. And the, were you playing like guitar mainly? Is this... Yeah. Yeah, guitar and singing. Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, it's an interesting one when you start compromising who you are, and and it, it starts becoming more and more work. Eh? It's like is that's it... how people make themselves sick. Yeah. And you know, going back to what we were talking about before with that sort of that end goal of re retirement or whatever, you know, we um, if if we're making money and material gain our end goal, then we'll end up compromising things that are more innately important to us. If you're working a job that you hate, it will compromise your health, it will compromise your mindset. And ironically enough, if you're doing it to end up retiring mortgage-free in a nice house, chances are it will have shortened your lifespan dramatically <laughs> as well. So, Yeah, that's that quote by, I think it was Gandhi, the something about the illusion of man to like work their whole life sacrifice their health and try and buy their health back yeah <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um oh that's that's cool because were you so where'd you did you grow up in new zealand obviously what part i grew up here in auckland oh, you grew up in auckland yeah. okay and then what drew you to america was this in high school university i just got the opportunity to to travel over there oh, okay. and so i went and i i was in los angeles for about six months yeah. and 
just got to experience that lifestyle and it was it was a great time I, I met some remarkable people over there I, I got to collaborate with some musicians over there with, which was awesome as well and I just had a really good time um, oh. it's a great town um, I, New Zealand is a special place though uh, New Zealand's definitely my home and, and I could have lived in any of the countries which I visited I love traveling I love being on the road I love experiencing new places and whenever I'm there I absolutely adore it but whenever I return to New Zealand it's like oh yeah this is why this country's home um, it's, so it is a special place LA was, was fun um, it was full on it was intense um, it was also like a little bit of a, of a facade town as well. I felt like, feel like a lot of people there are pretending a lot. And I, I, I kind of felt like if someone turned, turned off the lights, the whole town would fall over, you know. But it was a fun experience. Uh, it's a great way to put it. And I, I've just felt that too. The more you travel, the more you come home and be like, wow, there's a, we're so lucky here. Yeah. We're so lucky. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're not doing everything right you know new zealand new zealand is a is a country that has so much potential and the people here are so special and we have so much that's worth protecting um and unfortunately i feel really it's it's quite hard for me to, to be in new zealand which is a country that i really care about and look at a lot of the stuff that we're doing to the country when i, I look at what's happening uh, particularly with the environment here where you know especially um especially over the last years, I feel like we've just completely gone for an economy over environment mentality and we're sacrificing so much of what makes this country precious, which is really sad to see. But again, like I, I also believe that we can completely turn that around quite simply as well if we just apply ourselves to it. Man, you're leading the charge there because that's something I'm just totally into and particularly from a, even like an advertising creative, creating value to the value of the country of being a pure product to, for tourism, for exporting, for like, as soon as, like dairy is a big thing for me of just like the industrial farming that's polluting our waterways and like, like say short term gain kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, and like if you create value in, in the nature and how you can brand that, the the intangible value is so large and there's no resource having to go into that. It's yeah. like, well, this is the thing that actually makes no sense to me either because we have an economy which is actually based on our environmental rep reputation, right? So even if you look at our agriculture and things like our, our meat exports, the, on, the only reason that our export produce actually reaches such high prices internationally is because people have a perception that it's coming from a place which is clean and green, right? Like it's even our slogan, 100% yeah pure New Zealand. Um, if people knew the truth, if people knew uh, the extent to which our industry was polluting our environment, then ironically enough, the industry which is doing it would also crumble because they wouldn't be able to actually export mm. the produce for the same prices anymore. And then, then what do we have? Yeah, self-sabotaging. It's, yeah, uh, it makes no sense. And there's some crazy stats around. I don't think it'll, it'll be more prevalent soon I think more and more people know but even talking to the sustainable coastline guys I think they said 95% in the 90s of our rivers are unswimmable after rain because of the runoff from effluent and effluent yeah. and and disc brakes on cars and like just but there's a lot of, so many things we could do to, to change that it's like rivers unswimmable like 90 something percent of them yeah um, it's crazy that's just yeah. And that's what, it, that's what I mean about sort of coming back here and being heartbroken because when you really love a country and when you really have a, a love for, and not just a country, man, it's, it's the world, you know, when you, mm. when, you, when you have a love of nature 
the awareness of what we're doing to it becomes quite devastating. Mm. Yeah, I've been thinking that too because it's 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 not a local problem; it's a worldwide problem. So if we can solve it on our little scale, then hopefully it could be modeled elsewhere and a bit like what you're doing with the tiny houses so that when you go into permaculture and you're looking at a place to live and you discovered this tiny house so what was the next step was it like i'm going to build one of these or yeah 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 i the the first thing that happened is i just got really excited by the concept (laughs) i i I couldn't sleep for two nights because i was thinking of how i would do it and design ideas and all this other stuff um, and then, then I just, I, yeah, I just got cracking. I, I waited until a reasonable time to call an architect and I, and I had that night I'd created this whole list of people that I wanted to talk to about this idea. Cause I come up with this idea that I really wanted to do like an ultra sustainable home for New Zealand conditions. And, and I needed some advice about how to do that well. And, um, there was a an architect who had written a book here in New Zealand called A Deeper Shade of Green, which is it's it's the go to book on sustainable architecture in New Zealand, a guy called Johan Bernhardt. And I waited till I thought he'd be in the office like eight thirty in the morning or something. Um, and I called him up and I said, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. I want to build this little house on wheels and I want to make it ultra sustainable. Like, will you help me and advise me? Um, and he was like, oh yeah, I could maybe be interested in doing a project like that. I said, what are you doing right now? And I, <laughs> I, I drove to see him and had coffee and, um, yeah, that was, that was the start of a really great friendship for me as well. Johan's been a really great inspiration and, um, somebody that's taught me a lot about architecture, a lot about design, a lot about materials as well, and, and creating something which is going to last and, but is also sustainable and low impact. So um, yeah, that was that was sort of the first journey, and then once I had the uh, once I had the the sort of plans and knew what I was wanting to do, it was really just a, a learning step, a learning curve, and taking it one step at a time. No one at that time had actually built a tiny house in New Zealand before, as well. So I didn't really know where to go to to get the right advice. Uh, so I would just make a lot of phone calls and have a lot of meetings and 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 do. I I, I literally did. Oh, thousands of hours of research to try and make the decisions that I did in the house. And even then, you know, now there's a lot of things I would do differently <laughs> already and I'm not even yeah. completely finished with the, the build yet. So, Oh, that's such a wonderful approach. Like this, talking about that Tony Robbins thing, just finding a mentor, finding a master, you going to Johan like that and making that call is such a... Yeah. Like there's such a just a wonderful step. And people are always excited to help you as well. Like if you're passionate about something and if you're doing something that I think you really believe is good and as well, if you're doing something which isn't just for you as well, um, then then I've had no shortage of people that have extended tremendous amounts of help, which is really cool. Yeah, man, just adding value. So we, so the you talked about the land issue. So the idea of building on a trailer is that you can take it anywhere, obviously, and and it's under these certain uh, size constraints, which gives you this kind of freedom to build pretty much anything you want. So the reason it's the reason I'm constrained by size is because it is a mobile structure. So legally, even though it looks and feels like a house, it is a caravan and it's built as a vehicle. So it meets all of the land transport authority regulations. So it's underweight, it's undersized, easily movable on the roads, um, you know, 
and and it's constructed like a like a, a caravan as well in terms of even the interior fit out and everything. It's all designed so it's balanced over the axles and and really that's um, that's kind of twofold. Firstly, it, it does provide a lot of freedom that I could theoretically take my house with me wherever I go. If I got a job in Wellington and needed to shift down there for six months, I could hook up my house and, and go down there with my house. Uh, and the, also what it does is it creates kind of a new model of home ownership, it creates a model of home, home ownership where you can actually own your home without needing to own the land that it sits on. Uh, and that makes it especially practical if you live in a, in a city like Auckland here where the, the prices are just absolutely through the roof. And so what, uh, so obviously you need to leave it somewhere though, there's, so you're looking at if you did have it, you'd, you'd find a place to park it, like what are the legalities around having a house on wheels and where can you leave it or store it or park up like well, it's, it's the same as a caravan so yeah essentially essentially it's very similar to a caravan um and i mean the, the only time people have ever sort of run into any issues with parking is if uh, one of the neighbors complains or something like that other than that the council pretty much just lets people be yeah. um but if if there are complaints r around it then they need to to jump in and, and interject but there's there's it's really interesting because a lot of people said to me when i started building this oh where are you going to park it where are you going to park it and yeah. That was something that I initially was a little bit, well, not worried about, but it was on my mind as well, um, what solution I'd come up with for it. And I've actually been amazed at the solutions that are available and, and the, offers that, the offers that I've got. Yeah. Um, so especially, I guess, because my project is quite public, a lot of people have written in and said, hey, you know, if you're looking for a place to put it, you know, there's here. And, and there's a variety of different places as well that are really interesting. So one um, of the big ones is people that own commercial properties. So they love the idea. They've, they've got commercial properties in these areas. There's maybe a parking lot out the back. And they actually love the idea of having somebody living in that parking lot that in a way is almost like built-in security for them at night as well, just having somebody around. So that's a really popular one. People with lifestyle properties are another really big one. Who um, and, and they, more often than not, don't even ask for any financial contribution. Most of the time they're like, oh, if you could maybe just help you know like spend a couple of hours a week like mowing or doing something like that so that's another really big one and then one that I didn't expect that now that I think about it actually makes a real lot of sense there's a lot of elderly people uh, so elderly people who are maybe alone in their homes who love the idea of having somebody parked in their driveway that's that's there that can maybe just check in on them every now and then and just having somebody in close proximity so um, yeah there's there have been so many offers and 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 it's sort of uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me as well because also when you think financially of a lot of people that have extended themselves on mortgages, if you can have someone in your driveway or on, on your back section giving you an extra 50 bucks a week or whatever, you know, for people who have financially overextended themselves to actually purchase homes, it can be another great income source for them too. Yeah, that, uh, that whole Airbnb, Uber, shared resources uh, world that's developing. Yeah. And yeah, particularly like I said, people have got um, these yeah, this extra bit of land that's not being used. There's yeah, there's just so much abundance around the world. If you just got that eye for it, eh? and you're going to add some value, or yeah, you know, walk the dog once a day, whatever it might be, figure out a way to get it done. Um, that's awesome. Have you got somewhere that's like the dream spot you'd like to 
you know, because well, obviously growing up in Auckland, you must have a place you love to hang out or... Yeah, I, I think growing up in Auckland, my dream is to leave, <laughs> you know, to get out of the city. And, and but of course, there are, there are also really practical reasons for me to stay in the city. And I give it a hard time, but I, I do love it here, just not the traffic. Um, and, and by living in a tiny house, one of the things that I could potentially look at doing is purchasing land outside of Auckland. So I could actually have land outside of Auckland, but still own my home in Auckland on a trailer. And then eventually, should my circumstance change, I'd be able to one day actually you know, own that land with the vision of being able to move my house there in the future. Um, and I do have this, this ultimate kind of dream, and it's something that I'm really wanting to work towards. And that is um, kind of an extension of what I'm doing with the Living Big channel and show is to to find some land. And I'd, I'd really like to find, as we kind of talked about, some ex-agricultural land or ex-dairy um, farmed land or something like that with polluted waterways that needs a lot of help um, and create like a big summit of, of permaculturalists and create a big permaculture plan and start like a 10 to 20 year regeneration project on that land and, um, and sort of film and document that whole process um, so we can talk a lot about how we can um, swap over to models of regenerative agriculture and also to, to practically show how we can apply knowledge of permaculture to, to healing the, the land. So that's something that I would really love to, to apply myself to in the future. Oh, that's a beautiful vision. And what's, so for people who don't know about permaculture, how could you sum that up quickly for them? Permaculture, it's, it's formed from two words, permanent and agriculture. But, but it's, not, it's more than agriculture as well. It's really talking about um, culture in general in terms of the way that we uh, interact with the natural world. So it basically talks about how we can live as human beings in synergy and in a beneficial relationship with the earth to create permanent sustained existence on the planet. That's probably the, the easiest way of kind of summing it up. Uh, and practically what that means is it looks at, um, I guess what a big part of it is, is uh, biomimicry. So learning the lessons from nature, seeing how nature does things and seeing how we can actually mimic our behavior to en enhance what nature is doing and benefit it. Cool. Because I've looked at a lot of stuff, uh, or talking to Ben Warren and seen documentaries and a lot of stuff on soil depletion and yeah these kind of ways of maybe farming but they're, they're so short term in terms of their methods sure. it's like there's no you know that like natural recycling or things getting burnt down and that carbon going back in the soil and the variety of plants you know this issue of anything industrial that's mass scale is like monoculture and it's got its whole it just brings these new issues that nature hasn't had to deal with, eh? And it's, oh, um, yeah. And we're in a generation that really needs to be talking about this. Mm. And uh, and this is something that our, our parents' generation was probably the last that got away with it. You know, they were the last generation who, who would be able to live comfortably, um, living off the, the gains of that sort of the, the baby, baby boomer generation and then exponentially expanding economy at the uh, expense of, of environmental resource. We're in the generation that is going to have to become aware of how to reverse that cycle and how to actually repair the damage that's done. Um, as you mentioned before, here in, here in New Zealand, um, you know, tremendous amounts of, of our rivers and waterways are too polluted to swim in. We've lost, uh, globally, we've lost over 50% of our topsoil in the last 100 years. And this is, you know, this is nutrients that we rely on for our sustained existence. 
Um, last year, 60% of the world was in drought conditions. Um, so these are, are really real problems that we'll be facing and addressing in our lifetimes. And so, um, you know, I, I think how we can actually practically take steps towards transforming all of our industries and all of our lifestyles towards just being more, more conscious of, of consumption and more conscious of resource, the more that we're able to do that, the better off we're all going to be. How did you, where did you do your, so you studied permaculture, you said, or you have just had an interest in it, or how do you Yeah, lots of people go in in and do um, online uh, permaculture courses, or, yeah. or actually go and, and physically do um, permaculture design courses. I've just completely self-studied my yeah. whole life. So I started with a book called Gaia's Garden by Toby Hemingway, um, which still today is, is kind of like my go-to Bible for home-scale permaculture, and um and through there, I just became a complete sponge. From there on, every resource or every bit of information I could get my hands on, I've just um, completely digested it. And then more recently as well, I've been looking at how we can apply that, uh, the principles in more urban environments. So even in things like uh, what I'm doing here with the tiny house and with the Living Big in a Tiny House project, once the house is complete, I'm also looking at things like how we can actually create regenerative systems within a home scale, how we can, uh, and, and you know, looking at things like composting, grey water recycling, uh, food production and small scales, because that's a real big thing, is more of us are going into these smaller spaces, more of us are living in city apartments, high-rise apartments, places where traditional agriculture isn't really possible how we can actually learn from small space design and permaculture and downsize those systems to, uh, to make it still work so that our cities and our urban environments can equally be productive landscapes again. Oh man, yeah, because there's, like I said, there's so many factors. There's, I see you've got the solar panels on the roof, so you've got your energy, and then I guess you need to consider what you do with the waste and like you said, the food. And, and so what's, uh, what are some of the things you've looked at what do you do with like the effluent and the waste here as a caravan? All composted, all composted. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so there's 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 no black water or anything in the house. It's all just going through a composting toilet system that's going through a thermophilic compost. So there's a secondary treatment which will sit outside my house, which is where everything will be thermophilically composted. And after two years, uh, you're you're dealing with high nutrient dense, completely pathogen free compost, which is perfectly safe for use on vegetable gardens or, or anything really oh well wow. and, and composting you know it's just, it's weird eh? if if five weeks if five years ago you would have told me that i would be this huge advocate for composting toilets i would have told you you were crazy um but it's actually become a real driving passion of mine um just this whole idea of closing the nutrient cycle because we have this this really broken loop where we we consider human waste waste to be trash um, and like it's something that's dirty, something that needs to just be, well, in our case, pumped out into the oceans, you know, or, or, or chemically treated and reticulated. Whereas in actual fact, it's, it's a real important part of nature's cycle. You know, humans eat, we excrete, and then that compost becomes nutrients and goes back into feeding the next generation of plants that we eat. Right, so it's it's creating those closed loop cycles. Nature doesn't have a waste bin, mm. you know. Like like the natural world before human beings came along didn't just go, oh that's rubbish. I'm going to fire that off into space <laughs> and make it the moon's problem. Like the world never did that. It created these uh, perfect holistic cycles that were sustainable. I mean, we've had like what three billion years of life 
on the planet, you know, um, that's sustainable. You know, the, the planet knows what, what it means to be able to continue cycles. And we need to learn those lessons. And the way that we deal with our waste is part of that. So um, in this house, I've tried to take this philosophy that really nothing is wasted. And, and so everything will be composted. Everything will be turned from what's perceived as a waste product and turning it back into a resource. Even, even in terms of things like the grey water where I'm, uh, I'm working on developing uh, small home-scale modular grey water uh, treatment options as well. And all of that um, will be filmed and I'll, I'll do sort of tutorials on, on the channel and, and show people how I'm going about it. Oh, fascinating because um, it's fun doing a detox, like a colonic kind of cleanse at the moment and the amount of like, well going to the toilet a lot but I'm like this I remember mum getting the the pig manure and getting all this waste product <laughs> for her gardens and and you're like why is why do we treat ourselves you know we're just animals why why are we treating ourselves so differently or isolating one like I say applying that same mentality to everything we do because this idea of wastage is just it blows my mind that we everything comes in a packet and then it's just discarded even the stuff that's you know, recycling, like what percentage of that's lost or what percentage can't be recycled, and then why does that even need to exist in the first place? Like, what brought about that system? Like, what problem was it solving, and then mm. why is it still existing now? There's got to be, um, and, and even things ways. like recycling. I mean, are these actually just born from this human mindset where we're reluctant to change? Mm. Like, how, how, I mean, I know there will be people out there who disagree with me on this, but just humor me. Like, how green is recycling? Wouldn't it be just easier if we didn't create the trash in the first place? Mm -hmm. Like, to what extent is recycling actually maybe just um, the packaging industry's way of making us feel about the fact that everything in the supermarket is, is individually wrapped all of a sudden? If you go, oh, it's okay, it's recycled, kind of just shifts the responsibility. What about... You know, what about just going, okay, well, it's, it's, it's still plastic. It's still energy intensive. And, and as you say, like, we actually have no way of knowing what quantity of the stuff that we put in the recycle bin actually does end up in landfill mm. or is recycled. So it would be really, um, you know, I, I think all of those things, it's, it's better off to actually, wherever possible, start with personal responsibility and just go, okay, well, um, I know what I'm consuming and I have the ability to make conscious choices over those things that I'm consuming. So if I can choose to consume less or if I can choose to <clears throat> purchase things that aren't individually packaged or if I can change my shopping habits so that I can shop at places where I can bulk buy and I can take my own pa um, you know, packaging and, and those sort of options, just makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that, that uh, starting with yourself and there's so much greenwashing and yeah, when you actually get to the you just ask that extra question i think they call it the three whys in patagonia's book you know you ask why then why again then you then the third why really gets into the actual yeah you know it's like recycle that's great okay but why are we recycling well because it saves the planet but it doesn't actually save the planet like you know, yeah what's actually going on here um and greenwash i mean that's such a great word and it's something that i'm up against so often and especially doing this house project because I've had to make a lot of compromises in, in the design and build of this house because it's a mobile structure and as soon as you're building a vehicle you've got additional challenges. So for example, I, I mean I love earth homes and and uh, of course one of the difficulties of an earth home on a trailer is its weight mm. and then you've got to have also things that are subject to movement. So material wise I've had to make a lot of decisions that 
if I was building on the ground, I would have never made. Um, but even try, like trying to find green products, you have to navigate through so much marketing, so much clever marketing. And there are, you know, like you've got, um, like insulation is a really big one insulation and, and the greenwash in the insulation market you've got like products that literally call themselves eco wool they call themselves eco wool because they're a mixture of um two relatively green cycle uh, products you've got recycled uh, polyester and then you have um you've got wool so individually both of those products have their merits right like wool is completely compostable biodegradable at the end of its life polyester at the end of its life is recyclable the only thing is as soon as you put them together yeah it makes a great high performance product but the second that you've mixed them it's no longer compostable and it's no longer biodegradable so you've actually just created landfill product and yet it's still literally branded as an eco product and the um yeah i mean it, greenwash is something that our generation again is going to have to be really vigilant at being able to see past yeah. Yeah, the advertising marketing industry it's just uh oh it's Yeah, the, it's it's hard to find the truth sometimes when everyone's just selling you selling you the story and you, you don't you know, we've all got our jobs and um just talking about listening to this book, The Money Master of the Game in the Finance Industry, it's like we we work our job, we do, we look after our family and so we we leave our money to who we think are the experts or we, you know, we have to trust someone and, yeah. and shit, they might not even have done the research and they're just selling what they've been told. And it's like, yeah, it's fascinating. So you're obviously you've had to choose like a lightweight structure here and then like just do the best you can. Um, yeah. So what have, what have been some of the kind of, uh, key compromises or, well, or, le- or even learning lessons or things you'd change in, in terms of building this house on the trailer? Uh, well, I mean, key compromise, if I had my way, hands down, I'd be building this house in hemp. And oh, even, and even oh, if, I guess you like the hemp, yeah. Oh, hempcrete is just such a remarkable material. And, yep. and hemp products in general, uh, I mean, their performance is through the roof and the environmental benefits of producing them is through the roof. Um, hands down, we need to be a, a, a we need to be a, a species that is just producing hemp like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> That's what we need to be doing. Uh, so I, I would have loved to be able to to use more products in the house um, that that are made from hemp. Oh, obviously, hempcrete if I was building on the ground. But even in terms of um, things like the cladding and linings, there's there are uh, things like strand board which are. are Build uh, created from hemp fiber, and there's some some phenomenal uh, uh, hemp composite plastics and things on the, the the market that would be great to be able to um, to have built with. We don't have those available to us here in New Zealand, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things which um, which I had to compromise on to a degree, but I still ultimately feel really good about the house. Um, even though there's a lot of materials that have uh, a relatively high embodied energy, um, everything which does have a high embodied energy has a really long lifespan. And then once again, it's also, uh, for whatever it, it's worth, it's still recyclable at the end of its life as well. So there's actually nothing that's gone into constructing this house that will end up in landfill, which is really good. Um, so so yeah, I, I guess um, I, I've certainly learned a, a lot 
about materials though and construction techniques and if I was building it again there's a lot that I would do differently and um, and I'm sure once this house is done um, I, I'm also going to be sort of approaching other build projects where I'll, I'll be able to to do things differently and and sort of explore some of those alternative techniques that I've discovered. What's the biggest challenge of trying to do it yourself of, of building one of these the learning curve and and just the making the decisions and that's one of the things that I've really struggled with I mean I didn't come into this as an expert I've just had to go from the advice of a lot of people and and one of the big the big difficulties is trying to do an eco building that's lightweight because eco-friendly and lightweight are not speaking the same language Mm -hmm. right now so that's where a lot of the, the compromises happen to come in. So I've, I've just done the best that I could. But the biggest challenge, I think, with, with building it myself has just been trying to circumnavigate the incredible amount of information that's out there. And sort of, as I mentioned before, trying to cut through a lot of the greenwash that's out there and just, um, you know, really trying to, to, to find ways of making decisions that I could feel good about. Yeah, it's interesting with mum and dad building kind of an eco lodge up in Mangawai and like they're both pretty much treating it as a full-time job. Like they're on site working, planting, making decisions, having to correct things, just like working hundred hour a week or whatever they might be just on the land and having to manage these, you know, it's like a full, I don't know how you'd yeah. do it working a normal full-time job as well. It's like you'd, you'd be just letting someone mess up a whole lot of things <laughs> I mean even even just with this project I mean it's a small house but I don't think I've had a, a, a full good night's sleep since I started <laughs> building it you know I'm going to bed thinking of insulation options and and design ideas and all this sort of stuff and it, it's really hard to switch off from it um, and and especially now especially now that the project has kind of got to where it is and now that the build is being followed by so many people that's kind of added this huge feeling of responsibility uh, where I, you know, I really, I really feel quite immense pressure to try and make good decisions because there are so many people watching and so many people <laughs> uh, following uh, what I'm doing. So um, I'm, I'm really trying hard to get it right. But there's no question about it. I'm making mistakes and, and um, that learning curve just has to be part of it. Yeah, it's funny, my, one of my best mates, Josh, he wrote a question in and he was asking, you know, like, where's the best company place to get all this information in terms of uh, passive living, getting off the grid and the answers about eco products and who's actually got all the information. It seems like (laughs) there isn't anyone that's like what you're doing. Yeah, it's really hard, especially in terms of tiny houses. If you're just building a a normal house on, on the ground, a really great resource is the Building Biology Ecology Institute. Um, there you can go to their website it's bbe.org.nz um, they have been tremendously helpful and they have created a really great resource of materials that are available in New Zealand uh, that, that meet their criteria another really good thing to look into is the living building challenge so the living building challenge is kind of like a new architect- architectural benchmark for sustainable design and building um, and uh, they're they're an international orga- organization, and that's something that I've I've tried to incorporate as many living building challenge principles within this home as is practical for a house that's mobile. 
Um, and, and so they're another really great resource to check out. And, and they've got things like their uh, red listed materials and things which which it's, it's sort of like they'll they'll tell you the things which are really important to stay away from if you're trying to create a home that's not only eco-friendly but also non-toxic because that's another really big thing is, is the toxicity in a lot of our building materials. I've even heard with um, like just having a new car like I'm lucky to have one but in terms of the materials and glues and stuff used and I was thinking that with the, the barn we're building too this yeah. These products are in and they're, they're fumes mm. and you, you kind of, you might get used to them, but you're just slowly killing yourself. Um, yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's another really interesting thing. Again, talking about greenwash, um, use of things like polyurethanes and, and like your spray foam insulations and that, a lot of those are heralded as being eco products because they have such high insulation values. And, and if you look at them, sure, like statistically on paper, the R values are through the roof. Like they are really good products that insulate incredibly well. And, and there's a lot of argument towards using them. But then you actually start looking at the toxicity. You start looking at the fact that it's, you know, after its application, it becomes relatively inert after 24 hours. But then it's still off-gassing for months after that and in theory continuously actually off-gassing uh, to varying degrees for the entire lifespan of the product uh, and then it ends up in landfill at the end of it you know um, it's, it's it's tough and and as you say like in automobiles because also they're effectively actually meeting a lot of the same challenges they're looking for materials that have really high performance but also lightweight um, and high performance lightweight doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't speak the same language as non-toxic eco-friendly yeah so you just it's interesting with um unless it's hemp yeah unless it's hemp that would be <laughs> the, the game changer there the, you know that solves everything it solves everything um yeah it's funny when you measure i was even looking at this edo portal when i did my training with him and looking at movement and when you measure it on just on a, a couple of metrics of performance yeah you sacrifice health and longevity and all these other you're just measuring something for one like in terms of movement it was just for like how quickly can you get this job done and so you compromise all the other functional and longevity elements to movement and what we're how we're meant to move and you're just trying to get this bar overhead or run this marathon in a certain time and you you lose the joy the social aspect that and in terms of there's another movie i love which was on human scale which was all about the, the building of cities and how we used to just measure like a, the performance of a city was how many cars can get in and out of the city and it was like we're measuring a couple of things we weren't measuring where people spent their time how they actually lived once they got in there and um and so they're just changing those those metrics and what you measure you value so you start to value where people hang out and what they do and their happiness and yeah and then suddenly it's a whole different ball game um yeah, so oh, that's such a that's such a wonderful point. Um, oh, cool! Is there? I, yeah, love all the resources. You're obviously like well read and curious and enthusiastic. So, is there anything like uh, maybe small living or or green permaculture related, or maybe just completely unrelated that's been inspiring for your movies, books, people, places? Oh wow! Um... Yeah, yeah, there's a few, I guess. Uh, one of the really good ones to talk about is um, No Impact Man. It's this guy called Colin Bevan who, who tried to, to live creating no trash 
and no carbon emissions uh, living in, in downtown New York. That was a really interesting book for me to read. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that are doing those kind of ex experiments and really pushing the limits of, of what, they're, um, what they're capable of, of saving and, and how little that they can consume. Um, and, and yeah, I guess there's, there's a whole world of resources out there. Uh, just in, in terms of I follow um, some, some Facebook groups and channels that talk about uh, things like minimalism and just things that encourage me to consistently question my own paradigm and, and question what my perceived necessities are versus the reality of, of what I need to, to live and be happy. And, and I'm becoming, yeah, as I say, increasingly aware that there's a, a huge... Um, a huge cavern of reality between what the world of advertising and the material world and our society at large tells me that I need to be happy and to be sustained and the actual reality of what those things are. Because since I, since I moved away from the desire to have large homes and flash cars and material possessions, I've found that I'm much more nourished through things like my relationship with nature, through my friendships, my relationships, my family, uh, my travel, my adventures, you know, that, that actually the things that really nurture me as a human being, uh, they're, they're, it's nothing that I can purchase on a shelf. And, and so I, I like to, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I like to also surround myself with as many possible resources where I can be reminded of that because it's easy like where you, you all I have to do is step outside my front door and there's a billboard that tells me I'm inadequate and and it, and it tells me the product that I need to fix that you know <laughs> and um, and so yeah it's sort of sort of good to be to find those really good reminders and those really good constant sources of inspiration which can help to counter a lot of the the more negative chatter that's always in our ears mm. It's such a wonderful point. Um, it's like the whole, the smartest minds in the world for Apple, Google, advertising agencies, they're all working to get your, get your attention and distract you. And yeah, and, you. I mean, the funny thing is I did my degree in advertising, so I oh, actually have a degree in creative copywriting. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and, and it was, yeah, it, it, I really early on in the degree, I, I realized it wasn't something that I wanted to do. I was actually, I went, I was one of those. I went to university to keep my parents happy. You know, like my, my, uh, my dad's an accountant, and my parents had this kind of, you know, they had this um, desire, of of course, to, to they wanted the best for me, as 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 parents do for their children, and they did that with the tools that they had available to them at the, the time, which is, you know, in order for our son to do well, he has to go to university, he has to get a degree, and even though he wants to be a filmmaker or an actor or a mu musician, um, if he doesn't have a degree and a backup, he's, he's eventually just going to, you know, die poor on the streets. And so I went and I did that, and I remember my first day of advertising class, the, the lecturer comes to the front of, of the podium and he says, um, he says, all right, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. Basically, over the next three years, I'm going to teach you how to make people feel fat and ugly so you can sell them shit they don't need. And everyone laughs, and he laughs like he was making a joke. And I was sitting back there going, I don't think that's a joke. <laughs> I, 
I, I think he was probably actually just dead serious that that is exactly how I'm going to be spending the... And, and that, that is it. You know, you study advertising and essentially you are studying psychology, you know, and, and you're learning how to manipulate people's fears. You're learning how to manipulate their inadequacies and you're learning how to create an artificial desire for something that somebody never wanted before you showed it to them. That, that's what they do. But the flip side of that is I, I then sort of um, thought, and this is a, a lot of what I'm doing also with living big in a tiny house, is I thought, well, if I can, if I can learn those, uh, if I can learn that strategy, and it works very well, you know, what, what, I mean, there's a lot of really clever advertising out there, and you look at the world around us, and we know it's working. So I thought if I could take those same strategies and if I could apply that to something that's non-material, if, if you could, if you could um, advertise true, tangible, healthy, good, sustainable solutions and actually package it as nicely as Coca-Cola, man, wouldn't that be cool? So, so actually sort of learning a lot of those strategies has been really great. And, and, and I think, you know, starting a project like Living Big in a Tiny House and, and you know, I'm not selling anything. I'm selling non-materialism. You know, I'm, I'm selling simplicity. I'm selling relationships. I'm selling adventure. I'm selling, uh, you know, things that fulfill us spiritually and, and as, as human beings. Oh, that's such a good point. I'm reading this book called E-Myth Revisited at the moment. I think that's the name of it, E-Myth. And it's that exact point. And I feel that's where the, the gap we can bridge from being this kind of completely off-the-grid hippie kind of one extreme and then looking at something like, I say Coke and McDonald's and being like, they're the enemy. And I'm like, I'm so glad I've done advertising and this book. To, to understand these tools and to you can use them in good you know nothing's necessarily good or bad it's like how yeah. you apply it and um this whole book was like at mcdonald's and how to create a business and like how systematic and how brilliant and beautiful their systems and their you know it's like how many businesses are like coco mcdonald's they're worldwide the products are the same everywhere you go everyone loves it um you know you could apply that thinking to anything you could like i said meditation why could you bottle meditation that's the same or yeah exactly because um, all of these things like the way that they sell it they're not um they're not necessarily always creating needs or like if they're if an advertising so, so if it's if an advertising strategy is exploiting insecurity for example that insecurity has to be there in order for it to be exploited. So I'm not saying that these problems aren't real. I'm saying that the solutions that are offered to us by the material paradigm won't actually fulfill the need. So if we could actually, yeah, utilize those strategies, but actually provide solutions that will truly help people instead of just saying, oh, you, you, you feel like you're a bit too short. Maybe if you have a more expensive watch. You know? there, there are better strategies out there that will that will you know complete that that for you in a much better more productive way <laughs> yeah that's such a great point and um so going back to like solving problems have you got like some kind of core purpose or vision of what you're what you're out to do is it uh wow that's a I, I suppose I do. I mean, I've, I've, it's really interesting. Um, 
there's that there's that real cliche, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, and that um, you know that's something that gets talked about so often. And it wasn't really until I started this project that I really sort of came to understand how powerful that can be. I, I've I've been working in like permaculture projects and trying to um, create films and get projects off the ground about um, environmental problems or solutions or just awareness various things that I've tried in the past and have had um, very varying degrees of not much success <laughs> within any of those uh, projects and this was something living big in a tiny house was something that was really born out of a very personal need for me to fulfill and I didn't do it with the expectation that it would be um, something that would get a really good following and create a movement I did it expecting uh, that, that it would just meet my needs and give me a, a, a roof, a simple roof over my head that would keep me safe at night while I just kept on trucking and doing what I was doing. And, but just through actually, um, just through doing that and just through, through you know, living authentically to that, that vision and that value, it has had the, the impact of, of really you know, growing into something quite special and quite amazing. And I've got um, you know, a great number of followers right now. And um, it's just really amazing watching how that community is, is growing and more people are, are seeking out this lifestyle. And, and so, yeah, I think that, that once this is done, I'll, I'll certainly continue on with that. I'll keep telling those stories and I'll explore more ways of, of just learning about how I can alter my behavior to live more... Uh, more coherently with my values and, oh. and, and keep publicizing that and keep talking about it and um, just, you know, see where it goes. And I guess that's the other thing. I mean, people, especially if you do business coaching and stuff, people always love to talk about like your five-year plan and your 10-year plan. And uh, I've kind of given up on that because the world changes so fast. The whole world can change in a second. You can make one decision or, you know, just something that will change everything and you'll end up going off in this whole new path so i'm not planning too far in the future i'm just i'm i'm just making the most of where i am right now and and enjoying what's happening right now and you know in in two three years time i don't know i could be doing something completely different yeah i think that's a wonderful mentality because that is quite a traditional paradigm of i work to these set structures and i try to force myself to follow this rule book and to avoid change and I think uh, was it who was the writer Huxley or one of them talked about kind of fighting all the currents like you can either roll with the waves a little bit or you can like try and battle into the headwinds and make sure you're always on this path and he, he used this metaphor of setting a um, as a kid saying you want to be a fireman and then having this like target and then growing up and then like finding out you're not a fireman but you've set this goal so you have to keep going back there and um yeah and it's that that bit of that balance but um yeah i think that's wonderful how you have kind of changed yourself and done what you inherently wanted to and that's brought you so much abundance and you've been able to share it through your channel so that's it's so cool yeah cool thanks man um and uh maybe just a few quick fire questions before yeah, we uh go for it round up is there any uh like kind of tool or favorite thing that that's maybe under a hundred dollars that you've purchased or that's been 
<laughs> right, yeah, or any, any one thing you kind of can't live without, or maybe that's uh, that you carry everywhere with you, or that's man, maybe that's a, anything I can't live without that's under a hundred dollars. Or is, or is there, is there a certain Does that count? Oh, water bottles? Yeah, yeah, water bottles. Yeah, water's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of tools that are handy. There's yeah. lots of stuff that's handy, but there's nothing that I couldn't live without, or, or borrow or steal if need be. I don't yeah. know. So yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's a, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, what do you have for breakfast or dinner? Or bre- what do you have for breakfast today? I didn't have breakfast didn't today. Have breakfast? I'm I'm uh, doing intermittent fasting, so I normally have my first meal of the day uh, anywhere between twelve and two p.m. And what does yeah. that normally look like? Uh, normally a salad. Yeah. Normally it's a salad, a big ass salad. Yeah. Oh, cool. Any favorite salad? Um, just garden mix. I mean, yeah. my best favorite favorite salad is when I've got the veggie garden cranking, and I can just go out and just pick whatever whatever looks good. That's my absolute favorite. But I love to, I love to really go out there with salads and just uh, make them really interesting and dynamic and colorful and flavorsome and, and you know, chuck nuts and seeds in there as well and get some good, uh, good oils going, some nice vinegars and, yeah, good salad. You can't beat it. Oh, wonderful! That's right where I'm at at the moment. Same thing like fasting in the mornings. And, yeah. And then eating those high alkaline, good fats. Yeah. Oh, it's just the energy you get from it it's uh it's so good very cool and um do you ever like what happens when you're when you're low when you're not feeling inspired as any kind of tools you have to get you out of here yeah i i i, I go into nature yep I, I i recharge in the forest or or at the beach or someplace and 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 man it's it's we live in a world that doesn't make a lot of sense the, the, the social structures we've created, the economic structures that we've created, it's complicated and we weren't necessarily psychologically designed to deal with these problems. Like our stress mechanisms are designed for running away from wild animals, not designed for <laughs> dealing with credit card debt. You know, so, so we as human beings right now have a lot of uh, unnatural stresses and pressures that are put, placed on us. And for me, if I can spend time reconnecting with nature, that's where I, that's where I go to be at peace. Because you walk in a forest and everything makes sense. Mm. You know, there's nothing out of place, nothing stressful, nothing that, that um, you know, the, the forest doesn't demand anything from you, just gives to you. And, and it's just a, a wonderful thing to go and just get that simple connection and and just to be to be reminded of things that are important like i love camping for that reason i love going out camping if if things get too much if if i start feeling like things are uh are, yeah piling up on me a camping trip is wonderful because again that's such a good opportunity to reconnect with what we really need and if you're there in the forest with a tent and you know you've got a little bit of food and some water you know, you can really start to understand how little we actually need to, to survive and be happy. And then the other thing is, I've, I've, because I love photography, and I've, I've started doing astrophotography, and oh. that's another really big thing because I, I love, I love going out at night and looking at the sky, because um, there's something which is incredibly inspiring and and really humbling about about contemplating our existence within the whole universe and and the expanse of the universe and and um any any problem that i that i am going through when i look up at the sky and realize how big everything is and it it makes me feel very little and and really insignificant 
uh, and there is something that can be really comforting about that. That yeah, I've I've found that too. It's actually there's a Joe Rogan comedy video, and he he talks about that like someone getting so amazed by the Grand Canyon and being like, "That's life changing. You believe how big <laughs> it is?" And it's like, bro, it's a hole in the dirt. If you looked up at the sky, like, that goes on forever. That's the universe. Like that's the universe out there. Like yeah, just that. If you actually think and just think about it for a moment, it's like shit. We're around for the fraction of a fraction of time. Like the yeah, it makes everything so insignificant. Yeah, which is nice. It's kind of comforting. It lets takes a bit of pressure off. Yeah, I mean it, that's that's exactly what it does. You know, you just think, man, there's actually there's there's so many amazing things to be putting my mental energy towards. Mm. You know, the 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 stresses of of maybe whatever little thing is going on down here, and there's 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 a big bad wide very cool universe to be explored and and yeah it's just nice to have those tools to put things into perspective sometimes because mm. we can you know any little thing can get blown out of proportion and it can eat us up a lot more than it really should mm. yeah that's great i feel like all the great thinkers kind of realize that you know the guys like elon musk and they kind of think you know they're thinking at that level all the time um, is it do you carry try and carry a camera around with you all the time then? No, no, because uh, I I really I, I I love what I do, but it's also there's an element of work to it. So in my personal and private life, I sort of I I kind of avoid it. Um, I, I if I'm if I'm photographing something, I'll take my camera with the purpose of doing it. Um, and and on the off chance that. Um, that I see something along the way, you know, the cell phones have pretty good cameras and stuff mm. on them nowadays anyway. But, um, yeah, I just, I actually, when I'm not on camera, when I'm not filming, then I like to, I like to just be, be present and not live my life through a lens. Cool. So. And was there, was there a camp spot or a forest spot you like to go? Cause there's, I want to do more walks around here, like the Waitaks. I haven't done much of that. There's but. some great, great walks in the Waitaks. My yeah. favorite place to escape to, like if I'm just going for a quick overnight trip or something, would be the Coromandel. Yeah. There's this really amazing Department of Conservation campground there called Broken Hill, and it's uh, there's a, an old gold mine there, and it's just uh, it's just beautiful. Um, yeah, really, really worth checking that one out. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Coromandel's. Uh beautiful place and so as a musician is there any uh, favorite band or, or style of music you, you quite like or i i love uh variety i love um yeah definitely exploring uh, different different artists and different genres a lot of the time now i'm actually like listening to to ambient and that sort of thing I, if i'm just wanting to relax and chill out especially if i'm focusing on tasks or building or 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 editing or anything at the moment it's quite nice to actually just have something that doesn't have vocals and mm. i can just kind of focus on what i'm doing other than that if i'm wanting to sit down and appreciate um appreciate music i'll i'll normally be listening to sort of singer songwriter or folk or something like that mm. But yeah, I, I just like, um, I like variety and, and uh, my favorite song is a new one. You know, I, I, I like, I like um, yeah, hearing new things and, and getting excited about a, a new song or a new artist and then I'll thrash that until I don't want to hear it anymore <laughs> and then I'll, I'll move on. So. Cool. If, um, if you could have dinner with three people in your dream tiny house or a couple <laughs> people, is there, any, is there anyone you uh, oh, wow. would love to... To, to get to know or maybe just hang out with more or wow is it maybe it's family maybe it's someone that's gone before us 
Wow, that's such a good question. And that's one of those questions that like I'll answer it now and then in <laughs> yeah, half an hour I'm going to be like, oh man, yeah. I forgot this person, I forgot this person. Yeah. Um, I would like to maybe uh, Henry David Thoreau, really wonderful author, visionary thinker, uh, and somebody who I've been really greatly inspired by. Um, and this, this uh, Bill Mollison, actually. So Bill Mollison's, uh, uh, he's considered to be the, the father of permaculture. Unfortunately, he actually just passed away this week. Um, which, and, and, and it would have been, he would have been somebody that I would have loved to have, uh, have actually sat down with and, and, and got to know because, again, his work has so greatly inspired so much of what I'm doing so that would have been um, you know it's it's a it's a shame that I never actually got to to meet him um, and uh, who else um, and I guess I guess along those those same veins I would um, I would love to to maybe have a chat with uh, Toby Hemingway who's another a, another really great permaculturalist somebody that I think is is doing some wonderful work out there in the world and who again I'm, I'm really um, I'm really greatly inspired by but I'm, I'm sure that literally I'm the second yeah. we stop rolling I'm <laughs> gonna think of a of hundred other people and I'm just gonna need to make sure that my tiny house has a really big dinner table <laughs> um, yeah it's wonderful friends and good friends and food it doesn't get much better than that yeah um, and as, as they're kind of on echoing those thoughts is there any uh person that comes to mind when you think of success like the idea of what what success is oh wow i uh, again yeah i i i think my my own definition of success is is changing so rapidly because you know we even say success and you think oh what's a business person that i admire or what's somebody mm. that's you know done really well for themselves in that respect that i admire and um and i i guess the reality of that is that i um i respect people who have transcended that kind of paradigm or the, the need to feel like you have to be you know this amazing exceptional Thing or have accumulated this huge amount of wealth or done all of these amazing things in order to actually matter as an individual. Um, I, I have a great amount of admiration for people like uh, Jim Carrey, I guess. Mm. Uh, you know, I really love that quote from him where he said, you know, I wish the whole world could become rich and famous so they'd understand it's not what they, not what they want. And I think part of the sadness of that is that for, the, for, for so many of us, you have to kind of get to that point. You have to get to that point where you've amassed everything that society told you you needed to be happy and you have to be sitting there with the Ferrari in the garage and the multi-million dollar home that's overlooking the ocean and the you know the the 20 year old model girlfriend and the you know have to have to have all of that stuff and sit there and realize shit that still wasn't it until until you're actually yeah connecting with with things that are of of much more more value and that's why I, I think people like him are remarkable role models and um and are doing some really good work by actually yeah you know they've, they've been there and they've used that position and they're saying hey guys there's 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 more out there and and i really admire that yeah no that's that's a great one i see some great stuff with jim carrey's related yeah. to the painting and this um yeah spreading that message so actually his episode of um uh comedians and cars gonna get coffee with uh, Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Um, 
he's a funny he's a funny guy too but, but yeah i mean like when i look at that i i think um i mean there was that facebook video of that um that guy who uh he, he's an indian man who went around um just he's dedicated his whole life to looking after the homeless and there are so many people out there that and i guess that's the hard thing when you're trying to answer that question like i know that the person who is probably out there that deserves my, my, my most greatest respect and my most greatest admiration and who I should be looking up to more than anyone else. I probably don't know their name because they haven't been publicized. We publicize our billionaires. We publicize the, uh, our reality television stars. And these aren't really the people that we should be admiring. The, the, the greatest individuals out there who are doing the, the greatest work, you know, most of them will live and die and no one will know their names beyond, you know, those they immediately interact with so i think that's that's probably why it's quite a difficult question for me to to Mm. answer because i think the the most remarkable people are probably the ones that are the completely unsung heroes (laughs) yeah uh just to echo that and i've been trying to think with the you know the podcast who i'd love to share you know there's yeah like you say the person that's just behind the scenes i've got a friend who's a cleaner and she's just the most wonderful person is so happy in the products she uses in philosophy it's like uh, having a zen master in your house and she her name's dying and she does massage for mum and dad too. and she's just so in tune with everything and i'm like flip this person's just it's like having gandhi walk around and just being <laughs> like you know just ask them something and they're just full of wisdom and truth and awesome and uh yeah but it doesn't meet these metrics at sell magazines and exactly but maybe we can uh change that slowly and um there's a a lovely Tim Ferriss question, which is like, if you had one billboard and come from an advertising point of view, like one piece of advice um, for people, or maybe it's the next generation, like what, 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 what would it be? Is there anything that comes to mind? Man, that's not an easy question. No. <laughs> the, the billboard statement. To or one thing you'd like to change, problem. you know. I, I think that it would just be about really getting to know yourself, really getting to know yourself. And, and within that, it just opens up so many, so many doors. If you can ignore everything that, that life tells you, you are supposed to be and everything that, that puts pressure on you to be something that you're not, if you can truly connect with who you are and what's important to you, then so many of life's problems will work themselves out just through that awareness. Oh man, it's uh, kind of see a bit of myself. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the journey starts inwards. It's, yeah, it's self-inquiry. Even um, yeah, I keep coming back to Tony, but he said the ninety-nine percent of people don't even know what they want. They're just following what other people are telling them. It's like shit. Just take a day, an hour to sit down, and be like, where do I actually want to go? Like, yeah. what's my purpose? Um, yeah, that's that's beautiful. And people who want to, how can they support you? Follow you? Um, obviously you've got some channels already. Yeah, definitely. Um, best way is to head over and, and find me on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, youtube.com slash living big. Uh, the channel name is living big in a tiny house. You can also hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all the good ones. Um, oh, and Pinterest would be a good one for your account. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, that's where I chuck up a lot of my design inspiration. And then when I've, when I'm braining, brainstorming ideas for the tiny house or I see things that I really like, I'll normally chuck them up on, on Pinterest. But again, like I'm, I'm somebody that I need to get a lot better with my social media cause I'm not naturally drawn to using it. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get 
a lot of joy from using Facebook or from using um, social media or anything. So I have to be disciplined about posting and, and doing stuff. But I promise I'm trying to get better. So. Oh, man, you're doing a wonderful, wonderful job. And just really appreciate your time and the message you're sharing and that the fact like my whole podcast is around people not thinking about it but doing it and yeah. so you're kind of embodying that man so it's like an inspiration to your message around the permaculture and the questions and what you're creating here with your own house it's uh it's gonna inspire so many people so i don't yeah oh thanks man it's been... your, your channel and i think it's like amazing what what someone like you can create like how much change you can have in the world so thanks man and, and likewise congratulations on this rockin podcast and thanks for having me in for a chat it's been really awesome Oh, beautiful brother. Thank you. We'll wrap it up there. It's, man, it's toasty warm in here too, just quietly. It's yeah, like no insulation sun. in just yet. That's why. Oh, well, and the sun, the, the windows you've got. It's, uh, yeah, everyone check out Bryce's, because you're going to have this on YouTube and the channel, so you got to follow this house. It's uh, it's really cool. Yeah. Can't wait to do a, do a second one when it's all done. Oh, you'll have to come over, man. Bring the video camera next time as yeah. well. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, brother. Cheers. You can, if you want, you can set it up at the end to get the... Oh, it'll, it'll be the same. I can adjust the level. So I forgot to ask one question to Bryce, which was a friend Bus asked about considering like boat options and living in boats. And I've had a few people like inquire about that. So is there any... You just mentioned uh, something about boats then. Yeah, boats are an awesome idea. They make so much sense. I mean, it's a little floating home on the, the water. So I think, um, I think yeah, there's just tremendous opportunities for that. I've met people that live amazing lifestyles where they'll just hop from marina to marina and, and literally just cruise. And especially if you've got a job where you can work from wherever you are, actually just living a life on the ocean is a real great thing. So um, actually after my tiny house is done, I've got a, uh, a boat project that I want to get stuck into as well. So um, people on the channel can watch out for that in the future too. Oh, beautiful, man. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. This, and especially around Auckland and the harbours we've got in New Zealand, like sailing in summer and just... Oh. Oh, the Hauraki Gulf is supposed to be one of the most incredible sailing locations in the world. It's like in the top 10. So, um, yeah. I mean, they don't call it the city of sales for nothing. So, and, and actually on the channel as well, that's one thing that I, I will be starting to do. So I've got some, some really great boat tours lined up. So I'll start actually going in and, and doing tours of people's sailboats who are, who are liverboards. So. Is there any, um, just on that note, is there anything kind of like watch out or pluses or minuses that you've already kind of looked at with, with going the boat path? Like, because obviously there's going to be restrictions around marinas and... And places you can moor up and maybe like different costs to consider. Um, but uh, is, there, is there many kind of pros, cons that come to mind for, for going the boat path? I, I think probably what you said is, is the main one, actually. And I haven't looked too much into it personally just yet. Um, but I, I, would, I would say what I have noticed so far is that for liverboards, the marina fees can actually be really expensive. And a lot of people are paying similar... Uh, similar costs and marina fees as you are for a, an apartment so it seems to be uh, potentially quite an expensive option here in Auckland but I'm sure there are ways around that and I'm sure that, that I, I'm going to meet people that have come up with some really great creative solutions and you know maybe mooring your boat in a really super expensive marina berth isn't the only option 
So again, I don't really know too much about that. That's still something that I'm going to be exploring. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to learning the answer to that question myself. Oh, beautiful. Look forward to following along. <laughs> Maybe sailing along. <laughs> well, that was a treat from Bryce. Such wonderful words. And yeah, he's really being the change, which I like too. He's out there doing it. Um, and what he does with his channel and his work is, is awesome. He's a, he's a bit of a legend, so I look forward to maybe doing another follow-up episode with him. I actually talked about even doing one with this Defender car I've got now, which I'm very fortunate to have, and I wanted to turn that into a bit of a tiny house, so we might... Uh, it's just an idea I'm floating around, but that's what I want to... want to kind of inspire by Bryce to sit, have this little setup myself so you can have a bit of that freedom, and, um, and hopefully it sparked a few ideas for yourself and uh, questions maybe, you know how you might better, you know, find a place of your, a place of your own. And um, I'm really excited about the hemp, hemp creeds and the hemp work as well. So hopefully we'll be seeing many, much more of that. And uh, again, share, like, comment if you enjoyed it. And um, thank you again for listening and tuning in. I really appreciate it. Hope you dug it. Think less, experience more. Adios. Oh, and one last point. What was my point? It was... And almost forgot, we got Franco playing us out with Tuhi Hey from his album with the Gayatri Enchant. So make sure you check out uh, the previous podcast if you haven't with Franco. Wonderful Kiritan music, so enjoy. No!